We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land throughout Australia on which we are recording. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Doyen Interviews, the podcast that speaks to inspiring women from the art, architecture and design world. I'm Bridget Nathan and I'm glad you've tuned in. Thank you also to Anon for the beautiful introductory music. This episode starts off a new mini-series that focuses on architecture and our changing cities. With public space something that many of us are missing at the moment due to the global pandemic, I was interested to hear from leading practitioners about their thoughts on cities and how they're shaped through architecture, public space, people and conversations. In this conversation, we speak with Mel Bright from Studio Bright about her amazing career. Having had key experiences overseas before working in Melbourne for Lab Architecture Studio and also setting up her own practice, I really enjoyed hearing from Mel about how architecture shapes the city. Thank you, Mel, so much for joining us today. How are you? How are you going at the moment? Um, It's a pretty interesting time. I'm really well. Thanks, Bridget. Thanks for including me in this. It's fantastic to be part of it. Our studio is at where I live, which has been really, really nice for me, but the whole team have been working from home. And so in some ways, it's been quite a lovely, um, quiet time for me here and just um, enjoying that. And we went very early from on the working from home thing. We sort of decided to just launch in and it's gone really well with the team so they're all happy and still still going and the um, best news for me this week is my kids have gone back to school so I'm not um, just um, running a business now and trying to homeschool but just trying to get back to actually being productive in the day so that's really nice but I miss them actually. My little daughter has sat next to me for the last three months and it's I kind of got used to it. Do you think she learned a few th- a few more things about architecture? Um, they sort of learn about architecture anyway, our kids, I suppose. Um, I, you know, I think it's sort of nice that kids get to see what their parents do. Um, I think that there's um, something really nice about that, that there's, no, you know, it's not just sort of mum and dad going off to work and this sort of not really knowing what that is. And um, so I think there's something I think they learned about lots of things maybe we weren't so good on some of the home assignments but um we did a whole lot of different projects so that's been nice oh yeah that would have been cool and um how big is your office how many staff do you have there's I think we count 15 that includes me and my husband and um you know students and things like that so um we've been um you know incredibly grateful we've kept everyone fully employed from what they were doing before COVID and um that hasn't necessarily been easy but um we've um managed to keep everyone everyone going so a couple of the guys are, are back in here um but just because they sort of find it better to work from the studio. I think actually a lot of the team miss the studio because it's such a nice place to work and we've got such a lovely team um, environment. Like there's a really um, great bunch of people and we we love each other's company. So, um, mm. Great. Um, Well, I guess to start off with it would be, good to ask the question um how did you get into architecture what motivated you and 
um, yeah, what, what's your background and your story? It was a really, it's not very exciting. I was just good at maths um, and um, physics in high school and my family, a lot of them are engineers and I thought, oh, maybe I just assumed that's what I'd do because I was good at physics and maths and um um, but I really loved um, design and um, art and so and that kind of I remember that feeling like it wasn't work to me and um, and so I just sort of kept doing that and actually I did put down for university preferences engineering but at the last minute changed it to architecture and got into RMIT and um, you know it kept going, basically kept going from there. I sort of haven't, haven't looked back. I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, so, um, yeah, but it was really sort of launched in, I suppose, as a, as a, you know, first year uni student into RMIT, which was really, uh, pretty intense initially, actually. Um, mm, yeah like in terms of the conceptual thinking and the um, just the all-encompassing aspects of architecture? Yeah, I think, and look, RMIT has always been run like those sort of vertical studios as well. And yeah. initially you go in there as, at first year, like, you know, really young, you know, still sort of me, I, I was living at home and, um, and you're in there with mature age students that have been trying to get into the architecture degree for four years or something, you know, like, yeah. and just really clever people there that are really passionate. And I kind of went in going, oh, well, give architecture a go. And, <laughs> um, and that, that was sort of, um, I think it took me a long time to find my voice there as well. And also because RMIT really, tries to push lots like these sort of at the time it was these three poles you know like really different kind of thinking or different approaches to architecture and I didn't really find my place until the much later years so I kind of um I do remember many years of feeling you know like I really was um an imposter there um and um trying to kind of find my confidence really and uh but but it was it was a great a great place to learn certainly was yeah 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 I guess you do learn quite a lot when you're studying architecture um, and it's always interesting to look back on everything you learnt yeah totally and I think I mean I think maybe the key thing for me was taking my time to get through the degree like I um, in some ways one of the sort of the best things I did is after two years I my sister and I. Um, bought a car and decided we would drive around Australia and um, instead of going to Europe and we said, you know, and I remember that being, I'd done a design studio where we went out to Lake Mungo and I was just so struck by the um, Australian landscape and um, this idea that we're designing in the city and um, with little sort of relationship to the country or something so and that did probably inform for, for many years so I sort of you know did that big road trip and um came back I think feeling more confidence in maybe who I was and what was important to me and that um progressed I think and in the end my final year design project I did actually in the desert near Cooper Pedy, um which was, you know, I think maybe I was trying to sort of say maybe we, you know, the art gallery and the museum 
big project is less relevant here at the time anyway or, or I was more interested in landscape um, and so I wanted to do something that was in the big Australian landscape. Wow. So that's cool. So what was the project? I did a roadhouse. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, all, <laughs> that's, that's cool. all anyone builds out there. But I really liked yeah. it. I thought about the roadhouse as a, a public place because in the in in those sort of um, really remote areas, the, the roadhouse is everything. It's like the, the pub, the hotel, the community centre, the post office. And so I found that a really interesting um, program actually. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, so after you finished university, uh, what happened next? Um, oh, well, I mean, you know, then the sort of big reality hits that you have all these great ideas as a university student and then really the apprenticeship needs to begin um, on what you actually have to do to be an architect. I was lucky I worked as a student for other architects while studying, so that was really fantastic experience um but you know I think even then coming out into my career I was never I've never really I see um students and graduates now really being very um um sort of driven and focused in where they want to work I feel like I just sort of fell into random things I you know ended up straight out of uni um finding myself in Malaysia um being kind of promoted to design director of a small practice over there oh cool yeah but it was like why because I knew nothing and um and, and then, you know, I did that and I did other things too where I kind of, so I didn't go and work for the great design practice which, which and get that fantastic training apprenticeship. So I sort of spent, I think, my early years um, almost just being thrown in the deep end where people, I don't know if they had, if I was, um, I showed some confidence so people thought I knew more than I did or I don't know what happened but um, it was sort of a bit like that and then I ended up, I did a whole bunch of other things but I ended up um, working for this sort of developer architect and I got asked to go and set up their London office. So, you know, again, and so I ended up in London, you know, again not knowing anything but going to mega meetings to do feasibility projects for really um, interesting projects all over Europe and, um, and you know, doing stuff like that and took my partner with me at the time and I remember the sort of all the blokes sitting around the table, you know, and sort of, you know, I don't know, making sort of I think initially it would often be my partner was an architect at the time and yeah. it was often a little bit like I was the handbag and I was like, oh. hang on, I am here. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I got offered this and he's my handbag. So, you know, um, <laughs> but um, that was a sort of amazing thing, amazing thing too. So I kind of just, I don't know, I never really um, um got that apprenticeship and then I ended up at lab with Peter Davidson and Donald Bates yeah. um, oh, which cool. was kind of fantastic to to turn up there after quite a few years and, mm. and again you know and in a place where there was really a lot of really passionate fantastic people and um, I really enjoyed those years uh, working working with with Peter and Donald and I worked on the I ended up being the project architect on a one of their big projects in China. So travelling back and forth to to China and um, working closely with Peter was a really amazing opportunity. So I I just didn't follow that normal path. I I 
you know, maybe, maybe I, don't, I can't work out what was good or bad, but this is this is where I got to. And soon after that, I started the practice. So, um, yeah, and really hadn't designed a house before. So, um, but started the practice on houses. You know, um, we've, I think we've worked out how to do it now. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. What were some of your um, motivations to start your own design practice? I think, look, maybe it's a similar conversation about RMIT. I, it, it, in some ways, I hadn't found the practice whose um, values or the work they were getting really aligned with what I hoped to do. And um, I kind of felt like I would often be put in a position, because I was good at organising, I often was put in a position to organise stuff and... Um, sometimes you can't on big projects do that and design. You just can't do everything. So I quite love, I loved the small practice because I could design, run a business, you know, and do all the things and kind of benefit from the success and the effort of work. Whereas previously it's like a, you know, um, you know, you get paid and you turn up and you do your thing. And so I really loved that. Um, I was sort of in control of my own destiny in some ways even though it was risky and I didn't really realize what I was getting myself in for Hmm. um yeah I guess another question thinking about your design outlook um is there a particular project or a particular place that you've worked um that you've talked about that has influenced the way that you design um and the type of buildings that Studio Bright produces Mm. I think it's much more um, come from all of the year, like the years. I don't think, I think I learned, I've taken a lot of things from everywhere I've worked and I'm very grateful for the opportunities I've, I was given. You know, certainly at lab I became really unafraid of kind of non-standard architecture and that you can push something um, <clears throat> beyond what you might have expected. So that was a kind of, you know, they're really made, they do all this sort of mathematical stuff and really interesting geometries, which is not um, what we're sort of doing now. But I think some of that um, just base level skills in, in delivering tricky things. But really I think I've, you know, this. I can look back, I get asked to do this portfolio talk to RMIT portfolio students and and they've asked me to sort of show old student work and what we're doing today to kind of talk about where the ideas have come from and I didn't realise it at the time but I've always been interested in landscape. Um, I think in some ways the things I found hard at RMIT well, because I was trying to do the things that I'm not very interested in sometimes. So, you know, I think our work is about really very simple ideas. It's not highly theoretical. It's just simply wanting to make um, good places for people and um, that's uh, that are context-driven and, you know, sympathetic and generous. And, and so maybe at the time when I was at uni there's, there was not a, there's not a lot of people that interested in that simple thing. And I think even at the time I thought, oh, it's not very complicated. (laughs) Um, And that's remained the same. But so I think, look, our work today, it's, um, I've I've really always been interested in sort of material, you know, materials and um, making, though I'm not a great craftsperson myself. I I really enjoy um, 
you know, that. And I think, but that's sort of mostly driven from wanting to take on board a context or a um, place and find a new way of thinking about it, sometimes through materials. Um, And then landscape has remained a sort of real passion. I almost went back and did landscape architecture, but I just haven't managed to fit anything else like that in, in my life yet. But, but I've, um, you know, just, you know, a keen gardener really. And, um, and so a lot of our work has sort of landscape and architecture embedded and, um, you know, continue to be really, um, interested in that. Um, I don't know. It's, um, really those things. I think, I think actually many years as a student, um, I don't know, experiencing and riling against this idea that architecture has to be hard and brutal and mean and you have to work ridiculous hours and this, um, in terms of our studio culture, I really um, kind of um, almost tried to set up a a studio that I would have liked to work in if I was a student or a a graduate that, you know, um, is a bit kinder. Um, and a bit more supportive and maybe lots more people are doing that these days but um, my generation was you know much more sort of you know feeling like you were sort of having to whip yourself on the back if you didn't stay up till midnight or 4am you know Um, so yeah and I think I don't know and then I've just you know maybe just like little things and generosity and that architecture has can be optimistic um and maybe that's a bit diluted but that's certainly something that's still we're still talking about Mm, yeah I also went to Sydney last year and saw that you'd been um completing some work there what have you been um working on um really we've been working on one project for now six years which is this project that was kind of amazing um to get at the time Uh, we um we're we're doing a multi sort of multi-res building in circular key basically just behind customs house um in um you know so just sort of one back from the waterfront there and um it's part of a a whole precinct development by AMP Capital and um, part of the sort of City of Sydney Design Excellence program was that they um, wanted to make sure there was sort of diversity of building types on the block we're on So, and they wanted to make sure emerging architects were given opportunities. So, you know, quite fantastic. We um, um, pitched for one of the buildings and got one and so um, it's been We've been working on that since 2014 and we're finally seeing it be um, completed. So it's really the final stages at the minute and um, it's been um, blood, sweat and tears um, um, and um, very, very tough. But um, we've really fought for um, for quality and for the design to be delivered uh, in the way we sort of envis- envisaged it and to have, And, you know, probably to our detriment, um, there's the same, we've designed a multi-storey building with the level of detail you would a house. And um, that's probably a a mistake on our part. (laughs) Um, Hopefully it's um, going to come across well, um, you know, when it's all finished up. But it's, it's, you know, there's a lot in it that, that we're really, really excited about. So, 
we've been doing that and we've been doing a you know a couple of houses up there as well one up the coast and so um not much else but that's kept us um pretty pretty busy for for, mm. for many years now yeah mm. and have you found many differences working in sydney um compared to working in melbourne in terms of the design do you think that it's needed to adapt in any ways um, to suit that particular place? Or um, um, yeah, I think everything we do adapts to a place. So yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, it doesn't feel different necessarily to me. Does that make sort of sense? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Um, hopefully, everything we're doing is context sort of driven I mean some of the Sydney because there's a group of us everyone's doing their own Sylvester Fuller are doing a building and others and they yeah. you know say oh the Melbourne architect we're doing like a grey brick building in so <laughs> Melbourne I'm like this is not Melbourne you know <laughs> but, you know um I'm yeah. sorry it's not white tiles um but um but it just seemed really appropriate next to the sands to Sydney sandstone that yeah that actually by um you know a gentle contrast it sits better in that context yeah. and lets the sandstone buildings be their own sort of hero and this be something that sits really happily next to them so yeah um, yeah. yeah I don't I don't um I don't not sure if I yeah yeah it's been like, I just think the the most amazing thing is you know I was sitting down here doing backyard renovations and someone in Sydney was willing to give us a chance to do this really significant building and mm. you know maybe more just frustration I mean all I've wanted in when I've started this business because I really wanted to do public work from early on but we just yeah. didn't get it so we did houses but yeah um the I was like just please can't someone just give me a toilet block to do or a small public building just anything you know um and um I think we still haven't really um done much public work in Melbourne so we're doing a church, which is pretty exciting in Kensington, which which I think is like a public building. You know, it's really a community centre um, and mostly about, um, you know, a community gathering. So that's I'm really looking forward to that. And we've just started another church as well, so which is a similar kind of brief with a, ch- a childcare centre and Sunday school rooms. So um really um looking forward to those those two mm. um just thinking about what you mentioned earlier about materials um and how the these can respond to the environment to assist the um creation of placemaking is materialism something that you consider quite early on in your design process yeah, de- I mean, definitely. I think it all comes into it at the start. Like I always feel like it's a big soup of ideas and some things sort of come to the foreground and then others layer up much later, if that makes sense. So um, the um, the church in Kensington's Coptic church. So we, we looked at uh, other Coptic churches around the world and tried to imagine what a Coptic church in the suburbs of Australia might be. And that kind of connects to materials as well as many other things. So, but definitely that's been part of it, but it's not kind of replicating, but trying to grab those bits and reinterpret them in a contemporary way in a new place. So um, 
yeah, yeah, that we we are doing that, but we're thinking a lot about simple uh, urban design ideas as well. Like, how do you? Where's a nice place to sit? Where do we? Where do we? How do we protect? Provide a sort of protected place to gather, um, or where should we activate a street? Where should we be sympathetic to neighbours? And really quite simple things like that come into it. So we sort of just go through a series of quite simple diagramming and context-driven responses. And sometimes that's planned, sometimes it's 3D, sometimes it's, you know, I don't know, historical context. Yeah. Um, On that point about history, to jump to another one of my questions, um, I've noticed one of your projects go up in my area, which is the Eight Yard House. It's a beautifully detailed brick house. It's nestled within um, what I would imagine to be heritage-listed homes or, um, you know, definitely uh, very valuable homes within the um, the suburb of Fitzroy North and very appreciated. Um, what are your thoughts on how a residential building contributes to this idea of placemaking? Um, and in what way is a project such as this reacting to constraints? Interested to hear your thoughts as someone who's um, thinking about works in both the public um, and private domain, what do you feel that a building like this um, can offer to the residents um, of a suburb? That's a really good question. I um, And it might be nice just to talk about a couple of different things. So that, because Eight Yard House is, you know, really that front is just simply trying to respond to a heritage street and I think you know some architects look at um oh we've got a heritage we must respond to heritage that's a real like negative to a project and I look at it and go oh you know more interesting constraints what will we do here and I think projects are richer for the constraints so really it was um a very simple thing about looking at that urban grain of single fronted um, Victorians most primarily with a parapet front and I suppose the site that we're in there was there's basically two houses that are a gap in that streetscape of that street wall that um, felt like we should contribute back by um, you know aligning and connecting with that rhythm so our site um, is almost divided into as a sort of streetscape sort of expression so there's a kind of quite um, obvious Victorian proportions to one part and then um, there's the with the with you know with the smaller front windows but it's obviously contemporary as well so we're I suppose we're just trying to find that balance between really um, sympathetic um, response to context but also um being um its own contribution so without necessarily yelling I don't know if that's a good way to describe it that um and so and then what's on the other half of that site is a brick screen that makes a garden so um that there's a way to have a bedroom behind there with privacy that's on the street so you know I think a lot of the things we're doing are trying to balance the um the desire to have a protected um home 
but also we really see houses as um, an important contribution to city making and suburb making, mm. and so and that they should have an agenda, and that they sh- they do make a contribution. So um, we should be careful with everything we add. Mm. So that's sort of, and, and maybe it comes from you know back starting the practice. We we didn't get start with public projects. We got little houses and. Um, I suppose from that point I thought, well, they still have a role and a contribution to make. So, you know, Eight Yard House is a little bit about that heritage response, but other projects like um, um, Rucker's Hill on Northcote, which has got a whole sort of side frontage on the street, you know, is much more about how do you kind of um, activate that street, offer something back to the street in landscape and activation but also provide a protected um, sort of home retreat and mm. perimeter ha- that come from perimeter house, which was the same, you know, like a really um, sort of inner urban site with um, with almost like an island. So it was really about designing it that out that perimeter to. Mm. Um, on one hand, you know, you sit there; the kids can sit there at the study desk with the window open, and they're hard on the street. Um, on another hand, you can kind of shut the house down and be in a really um, private, um, lovely place. Mm. I don't know if yeah. that answers your question um, yeah. well enough. But I think, and thinking about little things like, you know, that there should be a seat for, you know, like the local house, we did this back studio garage. And my favorite bit was just this little seat that we provided on the back laneway where you can, if the neighbour's walking past, it's a sort of chance to to sit and have a chat and these little Mm. things that um, start to suggest that that's a place. Mm. And so, you know, um, laneways, you know, activating laneways in Melbourne in the CBD is not a new thing, but I think that for a long time we look at laneways in the um, suburbs as the sort of place where the baddies are. And um, we've uh, looked at a lot of those sites and said, no, we should put a window here and we should put a front porch, a porch there. And um, um, At Yard House has that studio garage out the back on the laneway with its own little porch. And I think what we're trying to suggest is that that laneway is a public place. It's not the kind of security problem. It's an opportunity. And um, maybe as well it allows us, even though we're only doing private architect-designed houses, what I'd like to hope is that we're starting to have a conversation about how to build um, with more density and how we might live closer together and get more out of it. So making all of those spaces work really hard that you you might have a borrowed backyard and it's the laneway because the kids can ride their bikes up and down and maybe that means you don't need to have as big a house or something like that. So it sort of stems from those interests, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, the sort of ones we've done in St Kilda as well, what was really lovely to see in some of these projects, we did one in Balaclava where the back lane and we really sort of um, put poured care into it, into that frontage. And then the next thing you see, the neighbours have got pots out and the other neighbours have put a basketball hoop there. And I think that actually it's such a small gesture, but it often does. It's like the Christmas lights, you know. One person puts up the Christmas lights and then the others sort of go, oh, we're putting Christmas lights up. We better get some lights up. And so you sort of make these small gestures that start to um, sort of make change. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, do you find that there have been some challenges along the way to like really realise some of your ideas? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, totally. It's look, it's. Um, I think it's, uh, um, and uh, it would be an understatement to say sometimes it's been a challenge. Um, but with everything, and but the thing I've learned over the years, what I've realised is that the. Um, the challenge is worth it because there's nothing more disappointing to me than seeing something be built and go, shit, I didn't do a good enough job there. Mm. You know, I, I kind of oh, should have invested that little bit more time to design that a bit better because it could have been amazing. And so I find a lot of energy in that. It's like um, the fear of seeing something built that's really not very good and, um, and, and the joy actually of going, you know, like we just finished this house and there was a, you know, it's a common sort of thing like where you go, you encounter some problem and you could go, oh, well, that's really hard. Oh, well, we'll just have to accept that really crappy detail or whatever. And instead, you know, the team and I um, will push and challenge and try to come up with solutions that don't make that thing look like it was um, a compromise. And that I think mm. is a really lovely, um, if we, when we can do that, I, I, it's just wonderful to see like that you can go, you know, um, my, one of my, Maya just came back from a project. We're really unhappy with this little end to this project in, um, Carlton that we're, the project we're so happy with. And we spent hours just to resolve this little detail and she's come back with photos and it just, it just looks fantastic. So I'm always really happy when we do, when we do make the effort. And, um, and so, I don't know, so we just keep going really. Mm. And I, I did this thing, I was thinking, how do I kind of describe our approach like that? And it was, um, thinking of ourselves as optimistic problem solvers and that you don't have to be kind of, you could see the problem as an opportunity, I suppose. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Some great points, um, to think about and perhaps finish up on, um, Thank you, Mel, so much for your time. I look forward to seeing what Studio Bright gets up to over the next couple of years. Thanks so much, Bridget. It's been a really great chat. Thanks for tuning in to the Doyen Interviews. In our next episode, we'll be chatting to Nyung Vo, who runs the Everyday People podcast. I hope you can catch us then. Um, I don't know. I'm on a board for something and I want to help the younger people. I can't, I can't speak for them. I mean, like, I mean, I remember what I was like. I can't remember what I was like when I was in my twenties. I've changed, so I can't speak for them. They need to speak for themselves, or they need to give their input. Um, so that's what I mean by like, I'm gonna. My perspective is gonna change. I'm not gonna remember. I can't. I'm, I'm gonna be speaking from where I am at that point. So I think that's another part of diversity: it's your age or your the things you are going through shapes what you think now and when you speak up you're speaking up for that diversity I don't know